0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this this is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Here's your host, Christian Tervish.
1: Welcome to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tervish, and we're here for you every Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, followed by replays throughout the week. The purpose of my show is to explore how work would change in times of globalization and digitization. I want to understand the work of tomorrow, hence the name of the show. Now when I was a kid, famous soccer players were traded among soccer clubs for a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Now global superstars like Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi are valued well over 100 million dollars per player. Many German soccer clubs are organized as non-profit organizations and their leadership is actually elected by the fans. One of my favorite German clubs, Borussia Dortmund, went public and their shares are traded on the stock exchange. The American business model of professional sports is different with big leagues like the NFL or the NBA being organized around franchise models. Soccer club Borussia Dortmund, the football team of the Philadelphia Eagles or the basketball team of the Philadelphia 76ers, all of those today are businesses with annual revenues of hundreds of millions of dollars. With the size of a business like this, it is no surprise that the management of such a sport organization has changed over the past years. Optimizing ticket revenues, designing merchandise, and creating engaging fan experiences requires not just a good coach, but also professional management. Moreover, with eSports becoming increasingly popular, the traditional sports industry is potentially facing some serious disruption. So, lots to talk about today. I will be talking to Adam Davis, Chief Commercial Officer of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. At this point, welcome, Adam.
0: Thank you for having me. Pleasure.
1: Hey, Adam, if you could be a player in any of the teams that you now manage, what team would you pick?
0: Oh, that's easy. I'd be an NBA player.
1: You would be an NBA uh, What kept you from being one?
0: Well, you've never seen me. <laughs> yet, but my my 5'8", as I like to say, 5'9", is the right pair of shoes. Um, height is, was a bit of a disadvantage. And uh, I was a big wrestler in high school. And I always say you only become a big wrestler in high school because you kind of stink in basketball. So... Uh, <laughs> So that was, that was unfortunately, I knew, um, I go back to, it's funny, I think I was six or seven years old. My brother, who's three years older than me, he said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I'm going to be an NFL quarterback. And he said, quickly, you're going to realize that's not the case. So what do you think you want to be when you grow up? But I was six, so I had no idea. It all came to fruition. Now.
1: And in the world, it's just not fair. But you now have a dream job, right? How, how many sports events do you see each year?
0: Oh, I love my job. Uh, How many sports events do I see? Um, I would say, gosh, uh, between New Jersey Devils hockey games and Philadelphia 76ers games, they play a combined 82 home games. I do hit the road a little bit. I'm probably easily at 60 plus games uh, throughout the regular season. That
1: is a dream job. What did you do to get this job? What's your background?
0: Um, so my background interestingly enough I went to the University of Arizona and got a um, a bachelor's in psychology Mm -hmm. because I felt like psychology is to to me I love being around people it it interests me and everything that we do I think psychology plays a part in it so that was a lot of fun and I think like many 21 year olds when I got out of school and quickly realized I wasn't gonna be a psychologist I said I have no idea what I want to do, um, but I love sports. Mm -hmm. I started working working my network a little bit, and I was moving to San Diego, California, and I knew somebody in the New York Yankees organization that helped uh, make an outreach for me to, at the time, a gentleman by the name of Larry Lucchino, who is more recently well-known for running the Boston Red Sox for a a number of years, but uh, at that time he was running the San Diego Padres, and... I tell you know I meet a lot of young people today and I always tell them it's not what you know it's who you know and, and the connection I made at the Yankees helped open the door in San Diego um, and that took place that was the uh, the summer of 2001 I just come off of uh, the greatest job ever I graduated in December of 2000 from University of Arizona and my gift from my parents was they were going to pay my rent and allowed me to move to Lake Tahoe to be a lift operator at a whopping $7 an hour <laughs> Uh, that, my friend, was the dream job. Just unfortunately, uh, $7 an hour doesn't doesn't cut it. So I got in my car on uh, June 1st, and I drove to San Diego. And I had this great interview, and I was really excited for it. And I went in, and I met with Larry. Um, and unfortunately, at that time, if you remember, the, the Major League Baseball collective bargaining agreement was coming up in September of 2001. So his thing was, Adam, we love you. We think we have a role for you here. The challenge is we're in a hiring freeze because, quite frankly, you know, baseball is in limbo uh, in the next three months. And then, um, unfortunately, you know, 9 11 hit back in New York and, and Major League Baseball and the Players Association agreed to push the, the talks back a year, which kept the hiring freeze back a year, which turned me going, okay, I got to go find uh, a new job. And, and I will tell you, I, I think everything kind of happens for a reason. So my first job I got was, be mindful, I'm 22 years old living in San Diego, California, so I'm like 90% of the population that's 22 years old that wants to go try and live on the beach. So finding a job was, was certainly not easy, but um, I got a job at a company called AmeriQuest Mortgage Company. And uh, I don't know, Christian, do you, do you own a home? Yes, I do. So, so as you know, we, we have we have great jobs. We work at great institutions like yourself. I work for a great organization. But at the end of the day, when it comes to our home, that, that that's our money, right? Um, that's, that's our dollars and cents. So my job was to uh, essentially cold call you um, and build trust within the first however much time you actually give a um, you know a cold caller thirty seconds a minute. To then give me, to to give you my value proposition and then trust me enough to actually give me your social security number so that I could run your application. And I tell people it was such a great way to break into the business because it's so personal and it's so um, unique to each person and and having success there. And one day I was driving home – I was driving home from work, and my dad called me, and he said, hey, the New York Yankees just called. They want you to come in for an interview. I'll never forget it It was a Thursday night. I grew up a big Yankee fan. My dad's from Brooklyn. And Tuesday morning, I was sitting in Randy Levine's office as the president of the New York Yankees interviewing for uh, a job to be the coordinator of sponsorship services for the Yankees. And that was a long-winded way of getting you to where – where this whole sports thing came That's up. where it
1: started. And now, 16, 17 years later, you're Chief Commercial Officer at Harris Blitzer. Um, w- tell us what Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment is and how it operates. I know, uh, I think David Blitzer is a Wharton grad and I think also active on our Board of Overseers. Uh, tell us about sure. the organization.
0: Sure. So, so it's made up of, of not only David Blitzer, who you mentioned, but also Josh Harris. So, um, you know, two Penn alum. Um, so obviously, we're, we're we're big fans of uh, big fans of the school there. So in 2011, they purchased the Philadelphia 76ers, and then in I believe it was June of 2013, they hired Scott O'Neill to be the CEO of the 76ers. And Scott was living in New Canaan, Connecticut, and a few weeks later, his neighbor called and said, "Hey, I heard the Devils and Prudential Center are for sale." And Scott brought it to Josh and David, and ten days later, um, they owned the Devils in the Prudential Center. Fun fact for everyone: If you're going to buy a building and arena, give yourself more than ten days of diligence to do it. But uh, we did it, and, and, and spent the first year certainly uncovering a lot of rocks, but but being able to uh, to take that business and turn that around. Um, so much so that we got to the point in 2015 where we wanted to expand more internationally. You know, both Josh and David spent a lot of time over in London running Blackstone and Apollo's businesses. And um, they bought a a major stake in Crystal Palace, the EPL team in South London in 15. So that had been, uh, that was a fun introduction into the world of EPL. Obviously it's the biggest sport on the most global stage and working with great partners over there has been really, uh, really helpful and exciting. And then from there, we just kept going. We, have, uh, we built state-of-the-art training center for the 76ers. I think today for NBA athletes, they're the most sophisticated athletes in the world in my mind. And the fact that we have to have a great home for them to come to and uh, the training center, you know, kicked that off for us. We then got into the world of uh, eSports, and we were the first pro sports team to buy into the world of eSports, buying the historic Team Dignitas at the time, um, while doing that, we were launching an innovation lab in Camden, New Jersey, where we incubate companies. We literally give them, you know, free housing, free legal counsel, free marketing. Um, after that, we, we launched into a partnership with the Grammys, and we brought the Grammy Museum in particular, which is housed in L.A. Live in Los Angeles. They launched Grammy Museum experiences around the country. And they are in uh, Tennessee, in the home of country music. They're in Biloxi, Mississippi, in the home of the Delta Blues. And their East Coast home is actually at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. So this great partnership and affiliation with the Grammys, which is, you know, the most iconic brand in in all of music, which has been great. Um, And then from there, we launched... A $25 million venture fund uh, looking at early round sports and technology companies. We launched a 76ers NBA 2K team, Mm the NBA's 2K League, 76ers gaming company, who made it to the finals this year. And then from there, we launched uh, an agency known as Elevate with three other great partners in San Francisco 49ers, which is led by Al Guido, who's the CEO of Elevate and the president of the San Francisco 49ers. Oakview Group, which is led by Tim Laiwiki, and um, and we're partners with Live Nation and Ticketmaster uh, as our fourth partner in it. And Elevate is an agency that goes into new venues and renovated venues to help them lead their strategies on how they want to sell tickets and premiums to both maximize re- revenue moving forward. Um, all while doing that, uh, I don't want to leave out. We have our G League team. The Delaware Bluecoats that play in Wilmington, Delaware, and we just built a brand new state of the art facility that's a mixed use sports complex for the community of Wilmington, and our team plays there. So, as you can tell, we're we like to sit on our hands and not do
1: that. That, That's a ton. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Teresh, and I'm chatting with Adam uh, Davis, the Chief Commercial Officer of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. And I I think that gives us a good outline here for the kind of the the next 16, 17 minutes, uh, Adam. You talked about kind of the the current core business you're running. You also mentioned uh, the eSports activities that you have been kind of leading. And then uh, the 76ers Innovation Lab, which has kind of quite famous uh, let, let's start with your kind of the core so to say give us a sense of how big of an organization harris blitzer is
0: uh, about 450 employees across across two locations so our two the HBSE headquarters is in camden new jersey which is the philadelphia 76ers training facility and then our HBSC North location is the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey.
1: And in terms of revenue streams, so, so there are the sports teams, there are TV deals, there are ticket sales, sponsorships. Can you just give us a business overview?
0: Sure. I mean, you you know, you talked a lot about them. But I think in our – the way we look at the world is you have controllable revenues and then your non-controllable. So your non-controllable revenues would be exactly that, your, your TV rights deal if you're getting um, – Deals through the league, anything that has to do with leagues, media, et cetera, things that we don't control. And then you, you tap into our controllable revenues, which, you know, tickets is your number one source uh, of revenue in this business. Premium, which is, which is a ticketed product. It's, it's a more VIP-level, high-end ticketed product. Our sponsorship business, uh, you know, driving a lot of our – serving as a marketing filter for a lot of our partners to come in and speak to our audiences, which has been great. Our entertainment side of the business is really key, you know, especially in the Prudential Center. We, we hosted 49 concerts last uh-huh. year. So if you think about it, we actually have more concerts than we have Devils games there. Um, the, it's turned into such a revenue stream. When we got here, the Prudential Center was 17th in the country and 23rd in the world, uh, according to Billboard magazine. I think we did somewhere in the range of 23 concerts that year. And if you fast forward to last year, we were uh, fourth in the country, eighth in the world, and did 49 concerts. I mean, it's been an amazing uh, transition for us to really take the Prudential Center, which was known as the home of the devils when we, when we purchased it, to make it the home of entertainment in northern New Jersey.
1: What's um, the role of technology and analytics in this? I mean, you mentioned your, your, your founders really had quite a background in, in kind of investment savviness. How has kind of technology, analytics, and that sophistication influenced the success that you just described?
0: Yeah, so, so I'll talk about um, off the court of the ice and then spend a little bit of time on, on the court and ice because it's as important mm-hmm, there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I, I would say, look, our world today, everything is data, right? I mean, if, if we're going to have an Elton John concert or last night we had Mary J. Blige and, uh, and Nas at our building, which is more of an R&B artist, uh, you know, having Elton John, which is a different demographic than a country artist, I think us building the data of who wants to come to our building for these events and knowing that when we announce, it's about selling tickets to concerts. You want more concerts? Sell tickets and those promoters will continue to come. So we've been spending the time um, ever since 2013 in purchasing this of building up our database so that we can specifically target the genres of fans that want to come to our venue for the specific events that are happening. That is and will be uh, the continued wave of the future. I think at the same time on team ticket sales, it's it's relatively similar. I think the big transition that you will see is tickets are still sold relatively archaically. And what I mean by that is, I don't know how much you buy in your day-to-day life. If you're anything, my wife has a package coming from Amazon every single day Um, and the last, you know, like when someone calls me to try and sell me something, it's almost inconvenient for me. It's inconvenient to be on the phone. You want to do things when you want, purchase when you want, at the times that you want. And I think that's where you're seeing a big transition for us in the um, in the direct to consumer mm-hmm. marketing for ticket sales on the team side as well, right? I think season tickets continues to be a the lifeblood of sports organizations the challenge is, is that we all have 35 to 45 you know young um young up-and-coming ticket sellers that are calling christian four to five times a week to try and get you to buy devil tickets or 76ers tickets and i think that the wave of the future is, is understanding the data understanding who are prospective buyers and then speaking them speaking to them in the way that they like to purchase best which is not Hand-to-hand combat via phone. if they want to do it maybe on their phone, but using the uh, using the web to do it or using an app to purchase. I think that's the biggest, the biggest transition you're going to see coming um, in the change of our business, especially on the revenue.
1: So dynamic pricing and, and, and revenue management on the well, – I, I liked how you broke it out into the on-court denies and off-court denies. So in the off-court you have professional management for exactly these types of things. Um, are, there, are there carryovers in terms of sports analytics that help multiple teams in your business, or is that just, is just basketball or hockey that are they just too different from each other?
0: No. So, so from a sports analytics perspective on both the 76er side and the devil side, um, we are, we like to think some of the best in the business at it and certainly out ahead of the, the curve to where we can be analytics. It says so much. I think sports for a long time was, Hey, this is a coach and the coach has been in this game forever and he has a great feel. So he just trusts his gut. And what we've learned is in the world of analytics uh, you know, your gut most of the time is wrong. Um, and while, while the world of sports is certainly in coaching is, is, is a mixture of art and science, I think the reality of it is, is the science is, is becoming 85% of it, and the art is becoming 15%. So much so that with the 76ers, if you watch a game this year, and we'd love to have you out, we're pretty scripted. I mean, you will see, just watch the clock each game, and you'll see when Brett Brown looks to sub out a guy and you might sit there and question and say, wait a minute, this guy just shot eight for eight and he's amazing. And he's so on fire. Why in God's name would Brett Brown be pulling him? Because we know that the analytics shows that within 30 seconds of the point that we pulled him, his shooting percentage will dip 20% if he doesn't have a rest for the next six minutes. Like it is to that, it is to that level that, you know, we embrace sports science and analytics on the hockey side. Um, While we embrace it, I think one of the things that's really exciting that's out in the public is the NHL is talking about launching puck and player tracking, I believe, in the next uh, next season or the season after there. And that is going to give us the insight into every single player, what's happening with them while they're on the ice at every different second of the game. So while Coach John Hines of the Devils certainly uses – uh, what he has at his fingertips today, I think the way you're going to see in hockey uh, is the next wave and the way that they're going to be able to track these guys.
1: So two years ago I did some consulting for an NBA team, uh, we were thinking about improving the fan experience. What is your vision for the fan experience in five years from now? I mean, so I I think, I mean, statistics will have a big part in it. And I I mean, you just mentioned some of the technologies that the players will be using Uh, as a fan in five years from now, when I come, watch the 76ers play? What will be different in the experience for me?
0: It's a great question. I think the fan experience is changing. So in New Jersey, last year, they launched sports betting became legal for the first time. And with the devils in the prudential center we were we were fortunate to be on the forefront uh, at harris blitzer sports and entertainment you know we're we're priding ourselves on being innovative and we like being first we know it comes with mistakes sometimes but we enjoy being first and and being first in new jersey just watching as in its infancy stages as fans are sitting there with their phone on you know fanduels application or on william hills application and they're literally betting on the game and in-game bets and in-game prop bets, which in America is new, it's, it's as I said, infancy. But when you go to a Crystal Palace game in London, I mean, it's part of the experience. It's part of what people do. Sports betting, has, you know, is such a such a great way to drive further engagement, mm-hmm. especially if your team is, you know, if your team's losing three nothing. And this is the one game a year that you bring your kids to and you spend $400 to be there. You don't want to leave. And how do you continue to make that game uh, exciting and entertaining for you personally? Certainly not your kids um, when, it comes to, when it comes to that, that aspect of it. But I think, I think in addition to that, you know, it's amazing if you go back 10 years ago when you went to a stadium or an arena, just your food experience. Your, your experience was, hey, I'm gonna get a hot dog or a pretzel, a bag of nuts, and, and you know, a cold beer. And I think today, the experience for fans has become a culinary experience. I think it's a culinary experience. I think the way that we're transitioning to this next generation of fans and customers of ours that are a lot less attentive on watching the game and attentive on watching the games on TV, how do we continue to feed them content feed them things that keep them engaged, feed them things that keep them engaged in the way in which they want to consume it, um, I think gives us the opportunity to evolve, you know, each and every day, but never losing sight that this is fun family entertainment and a place where people can come to root on their team and, you know, either go home hopefully very happy because their team won or sometimes go home a little upset because their team didn't get the win that night.
1: Adam, you mentioned in your uh, comments earlier on uh, the, the role that you played and the early investments that you did in eSports. Uh, what's your take on this? I'm going to be talking in the second half of the show. Andy Din, founder and CEO of TSM, has had enormous success with, uh, again, like 80 million followers. How do you look at eSport? Is that disruptive to you? Is this a new, just a totally different investment? Is this enhancing the current experience and the brand? What's the role of eSports for you?
0: We love esports. I mean, we, we love it. I think that um, – I, I look at it in two different ways. Before I touch on Dignitas, I'll quickly touch on the NBA 2K League. Mm-hmm. In, in our world on pro sports teams, you want to build fan bases. So the NBA 2K, while that continues to evolve and certainly it's something that, that people are going to aspire to be a part of – if we're building more and more fans because they love playing with the 76ers when they play their 2K game or they love seeing Radiant, who's one of our top players, and that helps us build our fan base, I think it's fantastic and spectacular. If it turns into a profession one day that people are making money, like some of the guys in more traditional esports are, like League of Legends, and stuff, wow. great, great. But I think right now the engagement aspect of it and growing the fan base is, is the number one excitement for me there. I think to, to, to on the other side of it, you look at a, something like League of Legends. I just sit there and wonder how this thing crept up underneath us without us knowing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you have 40 million people watching a game and are you know beating the stats of you know NBA Finals games or MLB World Series games or college football national championships? So, do I think it's disrupting our business? I don't because I think that was all happening while we were having success on the traditional sports side. Um, we love eSports, so much so that, you know, we've doubled down. Most recently, we, we did a partnership where we merged with the Houston Rockets and, and took in their League of Legends team, Clutch Gaming, who, you know, we think League of Legends is, is where it's at. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Overwatch has done an amazing job. The guys at Activision, Blizzard are doing an amazing job there. I think, you know, uh, um, What's the next one that's coming out? Uh, Counter Strike, which is coming out next. I think I think this is the wave of the future. But we're big believers in in League of Legends, and I think it's a great opportunity for to talk to different types of fans. I think it's a great opportunity for non-endemic marketers to be able to speak to a, a, a different audience. I think it's I think it's exaggerated how different the audience is between traditional and non-traditional sports, but it gives them the opportunity to do that, and um, and I think it's just it's more people, more audience, and we love the consumption. I think at the same time too, it's you know we have uh, um, CSGO, so um, which is uh, our, our women's team is like two-time world champions, and I think it gives us another platform too, where putting these women. On a pedestal in esports is very different than in traditional sports, and I think that it is—it's um, easier, it's more recognizable, and I think it's another—it's another platform to speak to a totally different audience. So, all in, we are—we're big fans of
1: esports. And Adam, you—you mentioned—you you mentioned something that I found interesting, and I had, I had personally the same reaction. It's like it is remarkable, though, how long the party could have been going on without us and I use the word us broadly without us noticing how many people are in this at what time did you realize this, this is going to be big
0: um, let's see so adam silver don't don't quote me on the year here adam silver presented to the nba board of governors on esports and on the league of legends mm-hmm. um, and in that room, as he was talking through the numbers, Scott O'Neill, who's our, our CEO, was sitting next to Josh Harris and leaned over and said, we got to get in on this. Um, and that's the fun part for us of, of, of working for great guys like Josh and David is they see an opportunity um, and, and they're willing to take a chance. So, gosh, I wanna, forgive me because I don't know the fact of the year, but I'm going to say it's three years ago now. Mm-hmm. My, my best guess. Um, and from there, you know, it was, you've heard the term, the wild, wild west, right? I mean, that was, so getting in and trying to learn the business and learning how it ran, uh, there was no structure. I mean, not structured in the way that professional sports is and what we're used to. So um, as soon as we heard the numbers, we said, all right, there's something here. Let's go find what we want to get involved in. And, uh, and we met with uh, Michael O'Dell, who was a longtime guy who ran and started, Dignitas, and we formed a partnership partnership with him three years ago, and here we are today.
1: Do you dare make a prediction about the next big thing, so to say? I mean, with esports, I mean, as you say, that, I mean, that train has left the station, and it is going to be big. Uh, but I know that, uh, and you mentioned the Innovation Labs before, you're very active, yep. uh, you're investing into early-stage ventures, you're shaping the future yourself. Uh, what are you looking forward to in five years from now?
0: The the global growth of our games. I think the international right now is a huge focus for us. And the NBA just just changed the rules this year where they're allowing NBA teams to do to sign two global partners that can leverage the the IP of those teams globally. So to to make that more specific, is the 76ers. In the past, we could talk to a company in China. And they'd say, okay, great, what can we do here? And we'd say, well, not a whole lot. We can we can give you some exposure in games in the Wells Fargo Center that will play back on CCTV and people will see your brand, but that's about it. And, and unfortunately, or unfortunately, it's no longer 2005 when people are just buying signs. People are looking for a real return on their investment. And the fact that we can now go a bank in China that has a propensity of 76ers fans, and they can become the official Chinese bank of, of the Philadelphia 76ers and actually launch 76ers checking accounts in China <laughs> and using affinity cards in China, um, I think the, the, the growth for our businesses globally is, uh, is the next frontier.
1: Globalization and digitization, an exciting outlook uh, from uh, our guests uh, here on the show. Uh, from Adam Davis, Chief Commercial Officer of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment.
0: For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.